Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. Wonderful. So hello, welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. Today, we are talking with Ovi Negrin. I hope I've pronounced that right. He is the CEO and founder of a fantastic tool that we use called Social B. What this is, is kind of a social media scheduling and automation tool that has just saved us a huge amount of time, particularly because we are very much of the view that social media is kind of the tobacco of um, the modern age. And if you're, if as a business, you are producing your posts manually by going onto the feed, you open up this window to just completely derail your day every single time and get distracted. So having a separate dashboard to be able to manage your content and also to have a strategy in certain buckets to put your content into and schedule that out across different platforms and then get some analytics on what's working and what's not is a really powerful way to build your brand. And to be honest, Social B is the kind of having tried a few different tools. This is the one that we've arrived on. It's the most powerful, I think. And the reason we wanted to talk with Ovi was not only to kind of espouse the benefits of that, but actually that seeing his journey and seeing the way that he has run a software as a service business, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned for online coaches in terms of having a very systematized approach, working with freelancers, working with developers. Um, they, they're very, he has very kind of consistent branding and um, processes to even to book this call. For example, there was a huge bunch of like automations and, and follow-ups and things to make sure that we did attend the call. We didn't flake. It's got sales reps. They have an open um, personal, it's got open personal brand and also an open roadmap. So there's a lot of good stuff in there. Ovi, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited <clears throat> to be talking to you today. So is that an accurate description of Social B um, that we've covered so far? Yes. So basically, Social B, we're um, almost like a cyborg. So we offer this SaaS, uh, this platform that you can use to schedule your uh, post across all of your major uh, social media profiles uh, in such a way that indeed, through our category-based posting system, we give you uh, a way to really mix in the different types of content that you might want to share. And also because we can also do uh, content uh, repurposing for your evergreen content, we can also save you time with that. Um, and besides the SaaS, the like classical SaaS as you, you might think of it, we also have uh, this thing on top which we call concierge services, where for customers that don't have the time or the knowledge or they just don't want to do the posting themselves, we can even help with, with creating the, those social media posts or running some ads or creating blog posts and so on. So basically, we're, we're a hybrid between like a classical SaaS and a very specific and productized agency 
And this is where also like the whole processes and systems come into play even more because we need that in order to deliver uh, consistent quality to our, to our customers at a, a very good price. Which one came so, first for you, the service or the software? Well, actually, it's a, it's a funny story, uh, sad <laughs> a bit, but uh, in the end, it turned out to be good. So basically, when we first started out with Vlad, my co-founder and CTO, we were planning to do just like a classical SaaS uh, type, of, type of a startup. But then uh, my co-founder, he went into a surgery, which should have been like a routine one, but uh, it didn't go well. And he was stuck like being uh, on a bed for a few months. He, he was not able to, to walk actually after that surgery. So he had to learn to walk again, uh, which we did, uh, which he did uh, luckily. But the thing was that we already had a few bits uh, um, built uh, for us to be able to slap a service on top of what we had and, and deliver that as a solution to our customers. So this is how we stumbled into the services part. Um, and we, we, we saw that customers actually wanted uh, or cared about the end results. Uh, at least some customers, they didn't actually want a tool. They wanted those social media posts on their platforms. Uh, they wanted those leads, actually, if we really go uh, to the end of the, uh, the, this conclusion. But uh, this is how basically we, we stumbled into the concierge services. This is how we call our services, uh, the productized services. And at one point we realized that, okay, this is quite valuable. It's not something that, okay, we, it's just because we needed it at, at that point. And we, we decided to really double down on those as well. And since then we really went in two directions. One is to really keep improving the platform. And the other one is to keep adding more and more concierge services on top of our platform. So that's an interesting point there, because from your perspective, you are offering two different services. But so I imagine from a delivery perspective, that has to be the case and you need to allocate your resources appropriately. But both of those offerings are solving the same problem ultimately for the customer. Yeah. In that Indeed. they're like, I, I want my social media sorted and I'm struggling with this. Yes, indeed. So for the customers that, first of all, know what to, to put on their social profiles, they have the knowledge to create good posts, both visually, but also uh, copywriting-wise, the, the text to, to be appealing and so on. And for the ones that actually also have the time to do that, we just give them the tools and that they can use the tools. And then for the ones that either don't want or they, they don't know how to do that, we can also help with, with the services. So how did you come up with the idea for this Obi? was it a, was it something you were trying to do yourself and getting frustrated with managing lots of different platforms or did you see other people doing it like what was the origin of the idea well uh, the origin of social v is our uh, previous startup which was called nugget and uh, that startup brought quotes from business and personal development books and basically by doing that we were producing a lot of evergreen content in the form of these nuggets as we call them uh, and also uh, long-form uh, blog posts that summarize a specific book. So we had all of this content, which usually belonged to a specific book, that we had to share on, on social media. Um, and then we also needed to find an audience for that content. And what we realized quite early on is that, for example, if we just published a summary of a, a Tim Ferriss book, uh, we could go on Twitter and look for people who are engaging with Tim Ferriss or who are following Tim Ferriss, following them, and then we also built some tools where once they followed us back, we knew that we, they followed us because they were, because we followed them because they were a fan of Tim Ferriss. So then once they followed us back, we were sending them an automated mention with 
uh, the link to the the summary of the book, and then we got a lot of subscribers to our to our app this way, um, and that worked. The problem with the app was that it was quite hard to monetize. We we needed to have like a massive audience just to to get it to a good business side, but we realized that these tools and processes that we built uh, to to really um, facilitate our work, those were valuable. And we started to have people uh, asking us about them. And at one point we said, okay, let's try and see and sell this thing on a side. And when we saw that we got the first customers uh, from uh, the very first version, which was actually a hacked together duct tape solution between like Google Sheets and Zapier integrations and posting through Buffer and things like that. <laughs> but we got people who, who bought that. Uh, we realized that, okay, we should just stop working on Nugget and focus on Social Bean. Uh, we then later sold Nugget to somebody who was in the, the same space as, as we were. And since then, we were really uh, focusing on Social Bean, uh, which was a little over four years ago now. That's a really interesting point as well. So it sounds like you were already doing something not with a view to offer that system as a product, but just doing it yourself as that strategy, solving your own problem. And then it came about that people were organically asking you, how do you do this? How can you solve my problem as well? Which is very similar to how I think both of the ways that we we do business have come about just from organic inquiries and thinking, right, fine, we'll make something to solve that, to, you know, solve that problem and serve that niche. So once people were then approaching you, you developed a minimum viable product with Google Sheets and Zapier and just kind of a fudge together process that was just about working. And then presumably, once the cash starts coming in, you can then level everything up, get more developers on board, and that kind of thing. Yeah, that that was exactly it. We basically scratched our own itch. Um, and then uh, we we started to slowly but surely at least in the beginning to build to to take all of these things which were built like in a hacked together outside system to really pull it into social be the 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 app that now is basically all off uh and we we finished all of the integrations that we had initially like for example in the beginning uh when somebody wanted to add an rss feed um, to go to a specific category, to one of these uh, social media buckets, uh, we basically needed to, they needed to email me and I was setting that up for them. So it was a lot of manual work. Sorry, my, my dog is in the background here. I don't know if you can hear it. No, uh, but... okay. So it sounds like, um, as you said, you, you scratched your own itch <clears throat> as well as then taking that, turning it into something that solves other people's problems and recognizing that um, their use cases and their needs might be slightly different. But I think there's a big lesson there for online coaches, which is if people are already approaching you for a specific solution to a problem, then by virtue of who you are, how you come across, or maybe even by accident, you are somehow seen as the authority in that niche because you've maybe publicly achieved a result that other people are looking to achieve. So then how do you then take it from that coming about as an accident to saying, right, how can I double down on that? How can I really rebrand myself so that I am the guy that people come to for that problem? So first of all, I think it's important to really realize or recognize if the problem is something that it's not just like in in your example, not just 
another one of your customers that has that problem. But you can really see either from discussions or you can really envision a lot of people having that problem. And you don't necessarily need to hear those exact words. You have to always think like, what's, what's, what's behind what I'm being asked? What's actually the problem that has to be solved here? Uh, it's that famous uh, Henry Ford quote that if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have told me they want a faster horse. Um, so you always have to think, okay, do you actually, what's the problem that you're actually trying to solve here? And when you're hearing the same underlying problem from multiple solutions, then you might have to think that, okay, maybe this is something that I can solve and I can solve at scale. Or if it's not something that you can solve at scale and it's not a product that you can build, but rather a very specific hands-on service, uh, you have to think, okay, is this type of service that I would have to deliver hands-on? Is this something that uh, I would enjoy doing? Would it bring me enough revenue for, for my time to be worth it? Or is this something that I can scale on the long term either through processes? Because it doesn't always have to be uh, software involved. You can have processes, you can have all sorts of automation, you can have uh, you can delegate things to freelancers or to employees and so on. Um, or ideally, indeed, if you can solve it through, through software, that's the ultimate scalable thing. But you don't have to, to start there. Um, and this is also a process that um, I'm calling self-service scale. And this is how we build Social Bee, actually. We first sold the, the, the end results. We really, we really found a few customers that said, okay, we want those end results. Do it for me however you can. We then service those customers through these hack together things and manual work and things like that. And then once we had enough, enough of those customers and we had also some revenue coming in and we knew that the, that was a real problem that uh, people are actually willing to pay for, it's only then that we started to really scale with the software. And the other side benefit of doing it in this way is that by the time you're actually starting to scale with software, you know exactly what you need to build. You don't have to like stumble and build the same thing three times because you didn't talk with your customers first and you didn't understand the real problem. But you know exactly what needs to be built. You have customers who are already paying for it and it just helps you scale faster and, and, um, and deliver a better uh, quality service or, or product. So you're using like a, a almost testers of the product to help you make it better, help you find out you know, exactly what is it that these people need rather than guessing. Exactly, exactly. You yeah. know exactly what they need and you have people who are ideally, ideally paying like real cash for what you, what you have to offer. And sure, it might mean that um, because of how much you're willing to charge and you're, you're considering this as a test, you're maybe actually losing money on each of those customers because it takes you so much time in the beginning to deliver that service. But what you're doing is actually you, you can think of that money which is lost as an R&D expense in the sense that you're not starting to really invest a lot on developers, which costs a lot anyway, um, but rather really working with customers and, and uh, getting to that, to that place where you know what you need to actually build. I think a lot of, sorry, Yusuf. Go ahead. <laughs> I think a lot of coaches in our industry stay stuck at the, um, like doing it very manually stage. And I think a lot of, like in the coaching space, a lot can be learned from, SaaS and software development and just the way that you think about that. So how do you, when it comes to improving your product or improving the process, how do you start that process? Like, what do you think about when it comes to improving your product? Yeah. So if I'm going to think about uh, like uh, the example that you, you gave in the co coaches space, I think what's important is to first start with an audit of what you're actually doing. Like really try 
throughout a week maybe, to write each day how much time you're spending on which type of activities across multiple customers. This way you will be able to see exactly, first of all, which activities are recurrent across multiple customers, but then also to, to see where you can improve a lot by, uh, because you're wasting some time or because you're, you're spending maybe too much time on that back and forward of uh, when, at what time should we meet, where should we meet, and so on. And you don't have to like, build uh, your own software for all of these things. You can just build the processes like we have with this booking, uh, calendar booking links, which a lot of people are using nowadays. And I think it's a must-have uh, uh, for anybody who is booking a lot of calls. But then maybe seeing that um, whenever I have a new customer, I always have to ask them, I don't know, a few things and they always have to email me uh, and we have to back and forth because they don't send me the proper things and so on. So a first solution in that case would be that maybe you have to set up a, an online form like a, a type form or, or a Google form and maybe you, you have to run, you have to create a video of yourself really explaining, okay, what each of those steps um, um, require the customer uh, to, to fill in so that there's no back and forth and, and so, so that you also put a lot of the work that needs to be done on the customer side. Um, um, and in the end of the day, it's going to be better for everybody if you don't spend time in, in email or in, in a lot of calls which are not well prepared. This is something I've noticed a lot about social bees particularly, and I think we've got a real empathy for, for this thing that you described of like having to have the constant back and forth with customers and being like, oh, no, but you need that bit of data or whatever. And actually, from booking a call with you, from signing up with the process, the onboarding form, the um, the sales process as well, the, you know, having a Calendly booking link, which we use ourselves, and the autoresponders and all of this stuff, you can tell it's born out of loads of um, self-correction of figuring out where are the um, where are the biggest sources of time wasting for you and for the customer. And actually, I think it's a big hurdle that a lot of coaches have is they think that they have to do everything manually because that somehow constitutes a better service. When in reality, if the customer has to go and ask you a question, has to go and email you, then they're probably already a bit pissed off because they've already got a problem that they haven't, they haven't yet been able to solve and they have to then reach out to, to, to ask you. And with a lower price product, such as a software, they're probably more likely to bounce than they are to actually persist with the tech support process as well so i guess you have to make that process a lot smoother something we noticed with you is that when we signed up with social b there was a really clear and on-brand um, set of like four clear steps of how to get your um social media accounts set up and integrated and then click here okay watch this video see how to create your buckets and it's like that solves so many frequently asked questions and makes the customer happy because then they're like oh right, I'm, I'm in and I'm ready to start creating content on there. So it's interesting to see that you've got this kind of very relentless customer focus. And it sounds like you're seeing it not just from what problems can I solve of the customer, but how can I preempt the problems? And how can I um, look at what it is they want? And but look behind that, you know, you were saying to, to maybe what the customer literally says they want isn't necessarily what they what they actually ultimately want as their goal. Um, and so something I've noticed is uh, you have a public roadmap, which a lot of software companies don't do um, because they're a bit cagey about what future products they're going to develop. But you, you guys have a, a public Trello board with things that you're working on, things that you're going to, um, that you've solved already or that you're going to work on soon. 
and it does invite some people to be a bit aggy in the uh in the comments on there but i guess despite that that's something that's very much like look we're going to take on your suggestions directly from you and implement them into our into our software yeah indeed so basically we we do have this public roadmap and we also have an internal roadmap and the internal roadmap is so so big that it wouldn't make sense to to make that publicly available it's funny like we keep releasing new features each week but somehow the internal roadmap only keeps growing <laughs> versus uh, <laughs> becoming smaller um but the public roadmap is there for for a few reasons one is to really actually let the people know what we're working on and this way uh, maybe if they have a suggestion uh and they see it there they know okay it, it's coming uh, they can know that what are our priorities because that, that's the, the biggest problem is is having uh, because we all have limited time also development time so then we have to prioritize and see what uh what we want to build uh, first and this is another place where uh the, the customers can help by uh, upvoting uh a task or another one um and we don't it's not uh, i always say like it's not a democracy we don't really just count the votes and that's it but we really take that very closely into account and uh we we also think of what other plans we have what else have we heard from our customers uh to to really come up with our uh priorities um and then we also get a lot of good suggestions in those comments uh some we can do uh some maybe are already on our internal roadmap some uh we know they're on are uh, they're on our internal roadmap but we know that we won't be able to do anytime soon because we have other priorities but it's important to really get um the pulse of of our community um and they also like to be like the the, the users like to to be heard and like to know that okay maybe even a a new feature that has been released was thanks to them uh, which we always try to make a note of who um uh, asked us for a specific suggestion and then we email them once once that thing is live uh, we do, we don't maybe always do the best uh job of tracking that properly but we try to do that uh so they know okay you actually contributed to to this new feature it seems like you guys have to so the difference between <clears throat> running a software company and i think i think it's the reason that whenever I see software companies being set up, even like really new one-man band kind of things, they always run properly as a business rather than sometimes you see a new online coach set up or a service-based thing set up and they're, they're a bit just inefficient and unprofessional. And I think part of the reason is exactly what you described, which is the customer focus and building things that the customer wants. If you get that wrong, it's your money on the line because you're the one that has to pay the development cost. And so you don't just have infinite time. So it creates this very strict Parkinson's law when you have something that you're like, well, maybe we should build this. And you're like, well, are we building it because we think it would be cool or are we building it because the customer wants this? And if we get this wrong, we're going to have spent 50 grand on developers and it won't take our business any further forward. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I think, I think it's important to know when you're building a feature, why are you building it? And if it's, a need or is it something that is just nice to have and that that's the other problem to some extent with uh, a public roadmap and with people asking you for features um it's it's really easy it costs you nothing to ask for a feature but once you ask people to pay for that that's when you know how important that feature uh, is for them uh and if it's really a nice to have or or not 
So that's why I'm saying like it's not a democracy. We're really taking a lot of data points into account, but like we're really, really looking uh, closely to the votes that we get on those uh, uh, different feature requests and the comments. Uh, and also at the end of the day, we take that uh, numerical information, but also do a, a, a gut check with what we feel it's going to be in the long-term best interest of, of uh, the users. I think a lot of coaches get really excited about sort of automation software with social media because a lot of people when they start out are using organic social media or free, like posting for free on, on different platforms to get their customers. And that's how a lot of people reach their first round of customers or interest. But then I think a lot of people, um, so like we, for example, realize pretty quickly that there's a, a cap to that in terms of the reach or in terms of, you know, you post something on your business page on Facebook, for example, and it, it gets seen by, one and a half people or something like that. Um, so you, we like naturally move into, into ads and advertising and paying for reach. So how do you think, firstly, I mean, how do you view kind of organic posting? And do you think that's something that still has uh, potential? And secondly, do you feel like using something like social media or automated software? Does that improve or decrease? Or how does that affect kind of the, the reach on, on different platforms? Yeah, that's a very good question um, or a couple of good questions. Um, so organic social is mandatory, but not sufficient. Not nowadays, because indeed, as you said, you have like, even if you have like 1000 fans on your uh, Facebook page, which might be a lot for a coach, especially when starting out, um, the organic reach will, will, will mean that a post that you post is going to be seen by, I don't know, nowadays, maybe 20 of those 1000 fans. Um, out of which uh, one is your mother, uh, two are your like uh, high school friends, and uh, maybe some would be uh, actually uh, uh, potential uh, customers, but some just scroll qu quickly through the feed and they don't even see that post. But you need that regardless, because what happens is that once people find you, regardless how they find you, once they go on your website, uh, and usually maybe they, you have your social posts uh, linked to your website, and once they go uh, on your social post from there, um, then they will see that um, you didn't post anything for weeks or months. They will think that you went out of business, uh, which is obviously not good. Uh, so you need that part, but it's not sufficient. Uh, but there are some things that you can do even without going into the paid part of things. So uh, depending on the social network, you can do some manual outreach or engagement. So for example, on Instagram, you can find people who are either following a specific account and engage with them or posting pictures with a specific hashtag and, and engage with those and so on. So you really have to find your, your audience. Uh, where, do they, where do they hang out and how can you find them? And it, this is going to be a one-on-one -on -one type of fight almost uh, to, to get those, those people to follow you, to, to notice you, to engage with you. On LinkedIn, again, uh, you can connect with people based on, on specific um, I don't know, maybe locations or maybe job titles or whatever you think is, is, is relevant. On Facebook, with the Facebook page, there is not a lot you can do, but what you can do is you can go on, on Facebook groups and really engage with people that way. Or again, you can grow your um, uh, audience on Facebook by just like friending more people, but that's something that's not as scalable. And the only thing which is scalable at the end is the whole paid part of things. And it's something that um, a lot of people don't like to do or admit or, or really understand that, especially in the Facebook universe, which means Facebook and Instagram, and which means like this is the 
the vast majority of social networking nowadays, it's a pay-to-play um, world. And you can think of it as a bad thing, or you can actually see it as a, as a good thing, because that way you know that as long as you manage to set up a, a proper funnel and uh, a way for you to really turn $1 of uh, advertising into $2 of revenue, then it's scalable and you can really uh, do that, that properly. And it's just, I mean, we, we started with social networking where everybody was posting for free, everything was free. So we got into that mindset of social networks have to be free. But when you think even in the older days, like advertising was never free. If you wanted to have uh, the yellow pages for the ones who still remember that concept, you had to pay to be there. Uh, if you wanted to pass out flyers, even flyers, I mean, you have to print them. Even if you print them at home on your um, printer, you still have to pay for those. So you just have to think, okay, it's something that I have to pay. Uh, and then I just need to really learn how to do it properly in order to get my costs down and the potential revenue off. I think that that thought process is, I think social media has is, is encouraged people to think, oh, you know, business, I can run a business for free. Like there's no cost associated with it. I can set up an e-commerce business and become the next like four hour work week. And, you know, by this time next week, and I think, yeah, definitely viewing it as if I, if I accept that at a point it is pay to play and that requires and necessitates a certain approach to acquire a customer, then suddenly like the possibilities expand very quickly. So what, I mean, something that I think that a similarity with uh, coaching and, and software coaching and SaaS is m- both, both of them are usually a monthly recurring revenue model. So how do you approach getting a customer? Like what's the sales process for social B if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, sure. So, um, and this is something that we keep evolving and we're now also reiterating our, our whole email pro- uh, sequence. But basically you have to think of it as, how we think about this and how we think of our initial uh, emailing sequence is almost like a dinner party. So basically the first step is to get somebody on your website. And then ideally the, the, the second step would be for you to be able to get that email address uh, because uh, people have been saying email is dead for years, but email is still one of the highest converting uh, channels. Uh, people are still using email. Uh, maybe the, the younger generation not so much anymore, but I, I would argue that in most cases they, they still do, and it's still a good uh, uh, medium uh, for you to convert them. And then what's happening is that once you have that that first contact, you need to earn earn the trust and to really provide value in order for for people to then give value back to you in the form of a monthly subscription. So if you think about this as a dinner party you first have to like welcome your guests to the dinner, right? So you first introduce yourself, say, okay, this is me. This is why you're probably here. Uh, this is how uh, we, we can usually help. If there's anything uh, you need to know or you have any questions, let us know. And then you start with, with, with the serving the food and maybe you start with a, an appetizer, which gives a little bit of taste of what, what you can offer. Uh, then uh, you, can, you can go to the main course where maybe you have like the, the really... Uh, important part of what what uh, you you're offering, and then maybe you go to desserts. And when it comes about desserts, maybe you give them a special offer to to really sweeten the deal. Um, and then at the end, um, um, you you might even go to like the drinks part, uh, where you might also like uh, try to 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 take this from a different angle. Uh, really try to communicate with them uh, from from a different angle. And at the end, if they don't buy, it's up to you to continue that relationship because it means that you didn't 
bring enough per- perceived value or enough trust for them to be able to 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 trust you uh, and and to pay for what what you have. But that doesn't mean that if you didn't convert them in those four first, I don't know, fourteen days, uh, uh, which is a regular trial period, it doesn't mean that they're gone. You just have to. Keep nurturing that relationship. Uh, you have to maybe ask them why didn't they buy because that will give you a, a lot of insight into what you need to improve either in your product or in your messaging or in your pricing or whatever you you you, you uh, you're lacking, and to keep nurturing that relationship uh, until they end up buying. That's really interesting, especially the part about the first few days when you think, oh, well, this email was the pitch. How come that one didn't convert? Or how... Whereas, yeah, we've definitely found that for some of our products, the average time that someone follows us to then buy might be six months or even 18 months. And it's very consistent that, you know, we, we, ask, we always ask people, how long have you been following us? And it may well be that they, they were ready to buy, but they just, it wasn't the right time for them or they just needed to build trust a bit more or whatever the reason was. And as you said, having staying on the top of their mind awareness is an important way to go about it. So, so are you saying that basically <clears throat> you're using the combination of organic social media, paid social media, and email opt-in to kind of maintain a multi-point uh, top of mind awareness for those leads until they start to kind of enter or re-enter your funnel and sign up with you at the end of the day? Uh, yes, uh, that, that's about it. And uh, and also on, on your point, I think especially when I'm thinking about coaches, most of the times they, they really have a lot of different service offerings and they really start from maybe an, an expensive one to really like high-end uh, hands-on coaching, which might be um, uh, a lot of figures per month. So what I would also suggest is that in the beginning, you, you really start with this like tripwire offering where you sell something at a very low cost and at a very uh, high value just in order to to get that uh, potential customer used to spending money with you, to, to get that wallet out. That first dollar that comes out, that's the, that's the hardest one. The rest, those are a lot easier. But once once you uh, were able to, to get that first buy um, and really provide what you said that you were uh, going to provide and offer a lot of value, you will see... Um, you will see that it's going to be easier to upsell them to to higher uh, tier or to more products, more services, um, and, and so on. And also on, on the whole funnel thing, so uh, because uh, you also asked me, and I, I don't think I properly answered this, but when we're thinking about like the high-level funnel, there are multiple ways to get people uh, uh, in the funnel, and social media is definitely one of them, both on the organic part and on the paid part. But then what we're also doing is a lot of content marketing, so here, even podcasts like this, they, they, they are content marketing for us, but also pro- providing, uh, creating a, a lot of in-depth guides and, and blogs and things like that. And nowadays, it's really not enough to like blog from time to time and create like a 500 words blogs. That's why we also went on the other direction where instead of like blogging, like old school type of blogging, we're producing these in-depth guides, which are actually like books. Uh, 150 page books, which we then publish on our website. They're really in depth, um, and and uh, we show a lot of value, and we show also thought leadership and expertise uh, with with those because it also comes back to that trust uh, uh, aspect uh, I mentioned, and that's why also for for coaches, I think it's important 
not to be afraid to give away like their best secrets or tips or whatever, because that's the way that people will know, okay, this uh, guy or girl, they really know what they're talking about. I want to learn more. I want to maybe have a more hands-on uh, things with, uh, with them. Uh, and, and you should not be afraid of giving away like your best secrets because uh, just knowing if there's a saying that if information would be like the, the key, uh, everybody would be like a billionaire now and things like that. Mm. It's not only about knowing what to do, it's really then doing it. It's about the implementation. And yeah, I think it's something you, you guys do very well, which is um, you build trust with your with your audience by having a personal brand. Like you have your face on a lot of stuff, which I think is quite unusual for a software um, company. And also, yeah, like a lot of the content of how to use social media to maximize your engagement or how to grow best on Twitter or whatever. And because your offering is very much aligned with the content that you're producing, it's a very easy jump to say, okay, so we've talked about how you can grow your following on Facebook. You could do it the hard way and post manually every day and spend three hours on Facebook, or you could sign up for Social B. So <laughs> it's it's a very easy and um, and a smooth transition into the product that you're selling. And I suppose that's an important lesson for coaches that whatever their content is, it ha- their product has to actually match their content. Otherwise, you could end up building a big audience, but not being able to convert on it. And that's exactly what we see with for example, um, the Instagram influencers that put up um, a lot of like physique shots or quite sort of sexualized photos, which might get them a massive audience, but then their audience don't see them as an authority or they don't see a clear jump between I'm following this person and I want to sign up for their product or I want to buy their thing. And so they have to then revert to um, sponsorship deals for supplements and that kind of thing, which isn't isn't really as, as lucrative. And also it's not it's, I mean, it's scalable, but it's, uh, it's a really, it's kind of a lower converting thing and it, it's not as easy to leverage your brand in that way. So something else that, um, or that actually it was the way that we signed up with Social B was your call sales funnel. I think this is really interesting that you've got a set of, I don't know if these guys are full-time sales reps or if they're part of a, um, if they're part of a kind of multi- um, Swiss army knife team, but I was interested in the product. I went to sign up and I think there was an option to do a free call or even it was, might've been part of the email follow-up. And I had a chat with one of your sales reps. They talked me through the program. They showed me the inside of it and they addressed specific concerns and issues I had with it. And then they gave me, um, a link on the day and and we signed up. How was that sales process developed for one-on-one calls? Yeah, so I think this also started out of the initial necessity that we had when, as I told you, the first version of the app was like Google Sheets and the hacked together version. And there was no way somebody would sign up on a website and buy that just because they saw it, because they would not be able to set it up. I would have to do manual work and so on. So actually for the first year of Social Bee, I was the one doing these calls and we had to do them uh, because our our software was not ready for self-serve basically at that time. But also in doing that, we realized that um, having such a call really increases the, the conversion rates uh, of, of people buying. And this, this is also because our product is quite powerful, but it can also make it uh, sometimes complex if you don't understand some, some key concepts, like the whole buckets and categories things. Once, once you understand it, it makes so much sense because this is how you're thinking uh, in terms of content, even if you do it uh, really consciously or not. Um, 
so, so that's why uh, we, we realized that uh, having a person uh, demoing uh, the call really, really helps a lot. Um, plus, especially in the early days, it, it was also very important for me to really understand what's not clear, uh, where people would need more features, uh, what other things uh, can we improve on the messaging side, and so on. And, and then, indeed, uh, we have uh, uh, sales reps, which are just like, that's, the, that's their full-time position now. Like, they're, they're just doing uh, this type of calls and then following up with, with prospects and, and so on. And that way, we can really explain uh, the, the software and we can also um, really tailor to, to the needs uh, and, and answer any specific questions that, uh, that, that people might have. Because we also have some, some demo videos and things like that. But the problem with demo videos is that, first of all, it's not tailored to your needs. And then the second part is that as our software keeps evolving and both feature-wise, but also UI-wise and so on, we always need to have those updated. And we do update those demo videos from time to time. But with, with, the, with the call, it, it really works better. So this is why we also uh, are, are uh, emphasizing a lot the free uh, uh, consultation call in our email uh, funnels and on our website and in the app and so on. Uh, because we do see that it helps us convert. Thus, the, so the the thing with the sales calls as well, and the difference between a demo call and oh, sorry, a, a demo video and a sales call, is as you said that the demo goes over all possible use cases and all possible um, reasons or potential problems that someone might have to solve. But actually, someone might be signing up for a very specific reason. And I know in our case, there were certain specific features that we wanted that our previous social media scheduler wasn't providing. And, and so actually, I, if, if I went on the website and it was like, hey, watch this 90-minute um, demo of social, I'd be like, oh, I haven't got time for that. Like, I'm exploring 20 other options here. I don't want to be watching 90, spending 90 minutes. But the call was like, you know, she, I think this is a big lesson for all sales calls especially for coaching is she was like hey what's what problems do you want solved like what are you trying to achieve with social b and i was like well a b c and d she was like right well a it does this b it does and, and it's just like oh right well that's a no-brainer like of course i'm gonna sign up for this and a lot of coaches when they're trying to pitch will try and um talk about the stuff that they think is cool about their product rather than what the customer actually wants and it's uh you know, I guess this has been a recurrent theme throughout everything you've talked about so far, which is the customer focus and looking at what is the customer need and what do they want, and then reflecting that back to them and solving solving their problem rather than trying to preempt it or trying to um, overlay what you think they should like. Yes, that, that's exactly it. I think you really have to to start and end with the customer uh, to really understand what their needs uh, what their needs are and. Uh, see if your product or service can fulfill those needs. Uh, and if it cannot, uh, to really think if that's something that you want to, to do and want to build in your uh, uh, offering for, for later on. Are you a developer, Ravi? I used to be, yes. I haven't written a line of code in uh, quite a few years, but uh, as a background, I used to be a, a, de- a developer, which uh, helps. Uh, so my co-founder, he's the CTO, so, and he's doing all of the development and overseeing uh, the other people who are helping us with the development. But it helps me to really, when, when I'm asking him or I'm asking them to build a feature, I know what's possible and what not, how long it should take them, and I know like what's the 80-20 of that feature. 
uh, because this is also something that we really focused on to really get those uh, 80% of results in 20% of the time. So I know that, okay, let's not build it ideally uh, from the first version. Let's just do it like this way. And I know it's going to be 80% from for what we need, but we can get that feature out on the market and really iterate based on real feedback. Right. I think that, so I think probably Yusuf's going to ask a variation of this question. How important do you think it is to... So let's say you're starting from a point of zero understanding of writing code. How valuable do you think that is as a skill these days as someone not necessarily trying to develop an app or software, but just someone working online? Um, is that something that is slowly becoming more and more common, therefore less and less valuable because you can just outsource it for a fee? Or how valuable is that to just understand it yourself and learn it yourself? Well, I think... Um, I think especially if you want to build like a, a SaaS or a startup, uh, which is more than just you being a coach and delivering your own services, you need to be able to have a lot of skill sets in that team. So that's why it's like, in our case, it was ideal because when we split the responsibilities, my co-founder, he was managing the whole uh, development part and I was uh, working on bringing in customers. Um, so that, that was really, really good. Um, and indeed, you can outsource, uh, and uh, also the outsourcing world has been, it's, it's better, and uh, you, you can do that, but it's still good to really uh, speak the same language or to really have a, a common understanding of uh, what you're trying to build, how, how long should that take, give or take, um, and also to, to, to know where are the limits of what you're trying to build. And I'm talking here also of what can be like, technically be done, but also how does that scale? Because uh, an app with 100 users with the same fun feature set is usually totally different from the same app with 1,000 or 10,000 users. Um, there are so many times where people might, might think, okay, <clears throat> we didn't deliver any new feature in the last couple of weeks, let's say. But Actually, in the background, we really had to rebuild a lot of things because as we get more and more users on board, we need to make sure that it's scalable, that those posts are uh, being sent out properly, uh, and, and that it keeps working and the service doesn't crash. Um, so it's, um, it's, I think it, it's important to, to focus on what you do best. So if you're not a developer, um, maybe don't try to become a developer. But it's, in, it's, it's important to know enough for you to be able to talk uh, with a developer because developers sometimes are really a, a different type of breed and they really uh, think in different ways and they, they understand things differently. But for you to be able to, to really say, okay, this is the type of feature I want. Um, look, you can see this other product that has something similar. I want it in, in that same realm. How, how long would it take you to build that? Will that be scalable? Uh, what type of technologies are you planning to build on? Because if you find like a random developer building on some very obscure technologies and then that developer goes away, you might find out that the six months that you put into the product are wasted because you can't find somebody else to take it over. Um, and it, it, it's also being able to, to see, okay, is that code good enough? Is it like readable? Um, did that developer cut a lot of corners, which... You sometimes do in the beginning, there's no point of writing the perfect code uh, before you know that uh, this is going to be a viable business. But still, you should be able to, to know if there are some choke points or, or problems that you will be facing uh, later down the line. 
So understand enough to be able to speak the language of the freelancers that you're working with, I guess, with designers, with coders, with admin people. And I think the easiest way to do that, like, you know, kind of outside of just the the code thing, in your case, that very much makes sense because, you know, you were a developer and then you ran a software business. So it makes sense to know the groundwork stuff. But with any process in the business that you're running, initially you will be doing everything yourself. And if you've, if anyone's read E-Myth Revisited, that's kind of the classic example of that, the guy who sets up the bakery and he knows how to grind the wheat and to roll the, the dough and to put it in the, you know, he knows all these micro processes and you have to know them well to then be able to move up a level from baker to manager and say, right, now I know which of these processes are most time intensive, which one requires the most skill or the most staff training and allocate resources accordingly. And then as you keep stepping up the business, you're doing less and less of the groundwork stuff, but you need to be able to speak the language of it or be familiar with those ground processes so that um, you can, you know, what's required to do them and what is generating the most cost and what's generating the most profit. So yeah, I think it, it, that makes a lot of sense. And the more techy your business is, you know, particularly if you're, if you're running um, a slightly more kind of tech coaching uh business so there are we have many clients that um either run a web app or or an app themselves or they or they use um stuff that's a bit more technologically in depth than the standard one-on-one coaching then the deeper that kind of groundwork knowledge is is required i suppose yes and and what you can do in, in those cases is also like just try to team up with somebody especially if 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 what you're trying to build is something which really is quite tech heavy uh i would definitely suggest finding a co-founder who can help on the tech side um and just divide and conquer uh the responsibilities um um and have a bigger pie because there are two of you uh than if uh, you would have tried to to do it uh on your own it's why the ultimate combination is if you can build and sell something then you're pretty much bulletproof yes so are there any particular platforms from the analytics and from the um from the work you've done with social b that you think are lend lending better lend themselves better to automation than others well i think um automation is is crucial nowadays because it really saves you time but it also helps you be more um to for you to really think properly about what you're trying, for example, to, to post on your social media versus if you don't have an automation, usually you just think, oh, I didn't post anything in a couple of days. What should I post now? So it's not such a thought out process. While if you really sit down and really think of your schedule for the next week or month, um, you will have a better schedule just because of that, because you will actually think, okay, I should add a few uh, a post about like, um, I don't know, some educational content, but I should also put in from time to time a promotional post for, for people to actually know what I'm selling or what I'm doing besides just uh, the, the educational part. Uh, and maybe I should also um, add some like third party content and whatever content mix is the best for you. If you really sit time and deliberately, deliberately think about it, uh, it's going to bring better results. And right. There, so you can there, have there like were... a, you can then choose the ratios of the content that you want, rather than being at the mercy of just oh I've woken up one day oh I need to just probably do a bit of authority content or a bit of yeah. informational stuff or whatever. Yeah. 
exactly that's it and with with a tool like like ours you can then schedule that you can really make sure that all of these different content buckets or different categories are filled out with with the content that you have because most of the times the content that we're sharing nowadays on social media for most people is not news type of content it's not something which if you don't share today it's going to be gone uh, and not relevant anymore in one week or one month or even one year most of the times it's evergreen type of content uh, which you just need to like sit down, create it properly, really write out or create those images or create those videos nicely and then schedule them. Um, and then you can really forget about that part for, I don't know, maybe one month and then you go back uh, one month and, and create uh, one month later and create the, the schedule for, for the next month and so on. And this will help you to really have a better content mix, better content, but also save time with, with batching. So I did it for 14 months. We, I, I sat down, I had a few... Uh, night shifts that were not not very busy and so i just bashed out 480 instagram posts um in one go and that i mean not in one go over like a, a week or so it was a grim week but <laughs> but well worth now, it. yeah that's it so yeah, Ovi, that, that's sure. been really insightful um you've gone through kind of the full the full stack the full funnel um and a lot of lessons in there for coaches on basically how to run a business properly and especially the lesson of running a business when not only time is money but time is development cost and that's where um, things have to really be really drilled down and made much more accurate so um, there's a lot of good stuff in there um, we use social be ourselves and we have a link that we'll put in the description where you can get a discount for um, social bee so you can try it for yourself um, as i say we've tried basically every competitor and this is just the, the the best one if you're running multiple social media brands multiple accounts and as ovi said um, it allows you to then step back and create a social media strategy and know what kinds of posts you're posting it gives you analytics as to what ones are the most successful. And then you can have, say, a library of pitch, a library of images, library of informational stuff, and rotate them as you see fit. Yes. Um, thank, thank, thanks for, for being a customer, first of all. And I'm happy that you, you're getting a lot of value uh, out of social media and that we're saving you, uh, hopefully, a lot of time that you can then use and invest in the other sides of your business or just for or your personal uh, side as well, because at the end of the day, we, we're doing the business side also to support our personal side. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're happy with us. Absolutely. So Ovi, thanks very much. How can we find out more about you personally as well? Thank you too. Uh, well, people can look me up uh, on LinkedIn or, or on Facebook. Um, the website is socialb.io. I also have a personal website, which is .ovi.co. Uh, I don't really have the time to properly maintain it uh, nowadays, even though I always say I have to, I have to, but uh, I social media takes more, more uh, focus uh, nowadays. And they can also like, if needed, they can just reach out to me. I'm also quite responsive via email. It's just ovi at socialbit.io uh, and uh, I'm happy to help as I can. Fantastic. Any closing thoughts? Thanks for having me. And uh, I think uh, with, with the whole uh, process of, of scaling things, it's really important to get started, be deliberate about what you're trying to do and really chip uh, away uh, slowly but surely uh, uh, on all of those things which take a lot of time and 
you usually feel the places where you can automate things, either through processes or software or having a VA, um, and and really start to 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 do more of that so you can focus on the things that you alone can do. Yeah, absolutely. I th- any, any processes in the business where you're like, this provides such a large amount of ball ache, like 80% ball ache for 20% return. That's where you need to start exactly. automating. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Ovi, thanks very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, too. Same here. Speak soon. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.